Welcome to the Wealth Standing Podcast. This is episode 270. Today is August 14th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I'm going to cover a topic that's more entrepreneurial in nature. For those of you that have no desire in improving your own employment conditions or ever starting your own business, that's okay. You still might want to listen because the essence of what I'm going to talk about still carries over to how companies create value. And when we're investing in stocks or when we're making any type of investment, what we really want to do is identify value. And identifying value is so critically important, that's why it's one of my top 10 wealth building principles. Hey, before we get in all this though, just a quick comment on the markets. And I'm not going to say much. I'm simply going to say, look at where we're at. We've been holding here for a little bit. But even with all the drama and the turmoil going on uh, from Turkey to the White House, what do we see? Well, we see U.S. markets near record highs. In fact, the S&P 500 is about 1% away from breaking a new all-time record. And I want to emphasize here, this is in spite of all the gloom and doom we've been hearing in recent days and recent weeks. And really, it's amazing in light of what was going on back in February through June of this year. All the doom and gloom prognosticators came out back then, were telling you how it was going to be a major crisis, a huge breakdown in not only the stock market, but also the U.S. and global economies and how the U.S. dollar was going to fall apart and how the yuan was replacing the petrodollar, yada, yada, yada. All a bunch of myths and misinformation, in my opinion. The prior episode that I did was all about emerging markets and whether or not it was time to buy or sell those. I did that because, as I said back then, I think that's where the real opportunities are going to be going forward. And forward, I'm talking the next, you know, 6 to 12 months. No, no, I'm not down on the U.S. economy. I think that we're going to see the S&P 500 get up to about 3,000 or better, just like I've been saying since January. But that's only a gain from about 6% from where we are right now. And so if I'm looking for some real appreciation, then I don't necessarily want to put new money into the U.S. stock markets, but I want to put it where the most opportunity is. Now, emerging markets are down, oh, I don't know, 13, 15% year to date. The Chinese market is down some 20, 25% year to date. I said year to date, that may not be exactly accurate, but from their most recent highs, which were all pretty much put in in January. So within reason, we can call that year to date. But here's the bottom line. I don't think that the global economy is falling apart. And so that leads me to conclude that the real opportunities going forward the next, again, maybe 6 to 12 months, are probably in foreign markets, especially in emerging markets, because that's where the best valuations are. And when I say best valuations, I mean those are the lowest valuations. Those are where things are on sale. You've heard people always say, the time to buy stocks is when the blood's running in the street. Warren Buffett says, you should be greedy when other people are fearful. Well, right now, everybody's fearful about emerging markets. Now, that's not the only reason that I think they're going to do well. It's not strictly that I'm a contrarian, that I'm really putting money on emerging markets right now. People are fearful. They turn on the news, they listen to the headlines, they hear about how the economy's falling apart in Turkey, and then they worry about some type of a contagion. Well, when these kind of things happen, I'm not necessarily encouraging or not encouraging at all that you go out and buy Turkish stocks, 
but I think it might be a good idea to maybe look at other countries that have been taken down, like Brazil. Ah, but in any case, I'm not giving recommendations. I'm simply telling you what I do. And specifically, if you want to know what I do in the stock market and you want to know on a timely basis what I'm doing, you won't always hear it here on the podcast because it's hard to produce the commentary and get it out in a timely manner. But you will see it over at my firm's website, investablewealth.com. You can go over there. You can either thumb through the blog posts, which are under the commentary and observation section, They're all there. They're free. They're not behind any kind of a paywall. I don't put up nonsense or try and fill space. I only post when I have something relevant to say or when I've bought or sold something or made some kind of a change to my portfolio, my model portfolio. And you can even sign up for the free email notifications that'll tell you when I do a new post. And no, you won't get spammed. No, I won't hassle you and try and sell you things because I don't sell things. In any case, it's there So, hey, I think the U.S. market going forward is going to have that 5-6% upside, while when I look at emerging markets, I think they can easily retrace up to about 15%. That's just to not even put them where they were at back in January. And if they exceed that, well, hey, the sky's the limit. I think they could go up 30%. 15 to 30%, I'm talking over the next, you know, 6 to 12 months, something like that. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. And it really doesn't matter what I think or what I say. But that's where my positions are. What I really want to touch on in this episode is what I'm going to call the wealthy handyman. And this kind of coordinates with what we talked about several months ago when I was asking people about what they wanted to hear and what topics they wanted covered as we go forward into the fifth year of the Wealth Setting Podcast. Well, one thing that was loud and clear from the responses was that people wanted me to talk more about the book that I wrote and and that was published, oh, about a year and a half ago. And I'm going to do that as we move forward, particularly in the coming weeks. I really want to focus on some concepts covered in that book. I think they're important. I haven't totally decided yet how I'm going to do it. And when I say how, I mean in terms of whether I'm going to cover it chapter by chapter or whether I'm going to talk about it more in terms of concepts. But I'll work those details out as, as we get into it. Ah, but I digress. In any case, more about that later. Today, I do want to cover a topic, though, that is mentioned in the book. But the reason I'm bringing it up now is because I just got back from a trip to Texas, and I had many people asking me about ideas they had with starting their own business or people that had their own small businesses and were trying to grow it. And so this topic is really on my mind. And as I was driving, I was thinking about the real pure essence of creating value as a small business person. And that's where I thought back to my book where I specifically talk about a handyman. And I forget what name I gave him in the book. I'll have to go look it up. But for our purposes today, let's just call him Handyman Hank. And we're going to refer to him as the wealthy handyman. And some of you may think that, hey, that's hyperbole. Because those kind of handyman type, jack of all trades, careers, well, those guys don't make any money. Well, hey, I'm not talking Warren Buffett wealth here or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. But I know plenty of people in the, well, that handyman type service sector. You know, guys that do kind of odd jobs or maybe they even specialize, but it's not a very high tech job. I know people, for example, that wash windows. And I'm not talking about having a crew that gets out there on skyscrapers. I mean just one guy with a bucket and a ladder and a squeegee. One guy. His job is to wash residential windows. You know, he just has a neighborhood or neighborhoods where he works in, where he has reoccurring customers. It's not a complicated business. What I'm trying to emphasize here, though, 
is that you don't have to have a complicated idea or business for an idea. There are hundreds of thousands of people in America that are earning a living by running their own small business, providing a very simple service or a very simple product. They didn't have to reinvent the wheel. They didn't have to be super creative. They didn't have to come up with and think of a whole new product category. They simply just provided a product or a service that people need and want. And that takes us to the handyman. You know, the guy that kind of does odd jobs. I think that's not only a good career for people today, but I think even going forward into the future, even with the automation and all those type technologies that are going to be enhancing our lifestyles, I think the handyman, the jack of all trades, the guy that can come in and take care of those odd jobs and those annoyances in your life, I think that's a career that's going to be in demand. And when I talk about guy, hey, I don't mean like guy like a male. I mean like a person, a woman, a man, whatever your gender may be. Okay, it's all inclusive. Because the bottom line here is that people, and specifically homeowners, either don't have time to do things for themselves or they have no idea how to do it. That's where the handyman steps in. I don't define it by one specific thing because it's going to vary from market to market and it's really going to depend on what that talent and ability is that this handyman brings to the job. Maybe it's just washing windows. Maybe it's repairing appliances. It could be hauling away junk. Maybe it's as simple as just changing the 9-volt battery in smoke detectors that so many people have in their houses with these high ceilings that they don't have a ladder to get up and get at. But here's the general concept of creating value that I want to lay out for you. And I use this handyman or this jack-of-all-trades or the odd job example to show you that it doesn't have to be complicated, that you can start this with very minimal skills and very minimal capital, and then you expand it from there. And if you're someone that has a great deal more skill or a lot of education in a specific area, well, you can do a whole lot more than just be a handyman. And so when I talk about these issues, for those of you that are in those more advanced situations, I'm not suggesting that you quit your job as a neurologist to go be a handyman, but listen to what I have to say about how a handyman would create value and how someone that's really doing relatively minimal tasks can generate an above income. And if it can happen with a handyman, then you, with advanced skills, well, you can take these same concepts and ideas of adding value and apply them to what you do. Now, of course, they're going to be on a much higher level, but the point is the adding value, engaging your customers, looking and seeing what the need is in the marketplace. So let's get back to our handyman, the guy that's pretty much starting from scratch. How does a man or woman do it? Well, if you're someone of average skills and average abilities and you have a little bit of seed capital and you're willing to work really hard and be creative and go out there and make things happen, as long as you have the physical stamina and the health to do it and a little bit of luck, right? We always need a little bit of blessings and good luck along the way. Well, I think that anybody can do this. And when I say anybody, I mean anybody. And the reason more people don't is because we feel entitled. We don't want to go out and do manual labor jobs or do jobs that we don't perceive as being of our stature. But you'll see immigrants come to this country that don't speak the language, that don't have any money, that don't have any formal education. And yet in a generation or two, if they have a well-steading mentality and attitude, they become wealthy. Or certainly their children do. How do they do it without resources, without education, with barely speaking the language? 
Well, they go out and they start small businesses like handyman services. And if they do it, able-bodied Americans can do it as well. So how do they start from scratch? Well, that's exactly what they do. They start working with what they have. And if you want to be a handyman or have a company that goes out and takes care of odd jobs that people don't want to do for themselves, well, you can get that business started on a shoestring. First off, you need some type of reliable vehicle. A truck, a van, nothing fancy. It just needs to be able to run and haul things around. You also need some simple supplies. Some rags, buckets, some inexpensive basic tools, screwdrivers, hammers, wrenches, several different sizes of ladders, and this is really important. You really need some big ladders, like a big, I don't know, 30, 40 footer, something like that. You need a large ladder to be able to get up on people's roofs and to be able to get into the high ceilings of these McMansions that are built all over the country. So a couple different size ladders from like a step stool all the way up to the big giant 25, 30, 40 foot ladders. And beyond that, just starting out, you don't need a whole lot more. Things that will come in handy as you're doing handy jobs around the house. Beyond the vehicle and the basic tool package, what do you need? Well, not much. You need to look professional so you can wear jeans or khakis as long as they're clean. And then some type of a nice shirt that has a logo on it. Nothing fancy. Something you can easily buy locally or online. You want to look professional when you go up to someone's door. And then to promote your business, you need some business cards and those business card magnets. You know, the kind you can stick on the refrigerator. Just something simple like that. That's it. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You don't have to do elaborate advertising or have all kinds of likes on social media or have a high ranking in, in Yelp or all those things. Not, not getting started anyways. And when you get started, you're not going to have it. So it doesn't matter if those things are desirable. You simply have to start with what you have. And you don't have anything. You need one other key thing. You do need some capital reserves. The biggest, number one, most absolute problem and reason for failure of small businesses is lack of capital. You have to have enough money to carry you through until you start earning an income. Now, I don't know how long that's going to be. Can you start generating profits in a week, in a month, in six months? Well, if you're running your handyman business, I think that you can definitely be showing some significant profits in less than six months but I would encourage you to have at least six months of living expenses and some seed capital to get this business up and running. Now let's get back to the immigrants that I talk about that come to this country and have virtually nothing and they start businesses. How do they do it? Well, they do it because their living expenses are minimal. And so, you know that van that I talked about, the reliable source of transportation? An immigrant coming to this country that starts a handyman business He's going to go out and buy some junker cargo van that's 15 years old or 20 years old and he can pick it up for maybe $500. And he's not only going to work out of that van, he's going to sleep in that van. Yeah, he's going to live in that van. And you may not be willing to do that, but he doesn't have any other options and that's what he will do. The way that he can front load this business with six months of living expenses is to be able to live virtually free. It will work for you if you want to do it as well. Most Americans aren't willing to do something like that. But hey, maybe you can be living in your parents' basement or sleeping on your friend's couch or just buckling down and learning to live off of your spouse's salary until you can get your enterprise up and running. But no matter how you cover the bills, that's what you have to do. You either have to have that six months of living expenses saved up or you have to have very small or very manageable living expenses. 
Otherwise, you're going to get into this and find out, like most small businesses do, that you're undercapitalized, that you don't have money, and you'll have to close your tent, fold up, and go home and kill your business before you even get it off the ground. I don't want to see that happen. So make sure you have that initial seed money and living expenses covered. So what do you do now? You got your truck, you got your tools, you have some money in the bank, or you're willing to live in the back of your van? Well, what you need to do is you need to go out and get customers. And this idea isn't going to work if you're living out in a rural area with no population density. But if you're like most of us, and you live in the suburbs or in somewhat of an urban area, then there's probably plenty of people within a few square mile radius to make your business work. What I would suggest is you go to some of these large housing developments, these big subdivisions, especially where they have cookie-cutter McMansion-type houses. That's where you want to be ground zero for your business. And I think the best way to get started in an area like that is to focus on one very small geographic area, maybe just a few subdivisions or a couple large neighborhoods. But what you want to do is you want to somehow get out and interact with those people. Find out some movers and makers in the homeowners association or the people that are active on social media. You know, all these neighborhoods have their own little Facebook pages. You're probably not going to be able to have access to that page because they're private, but you can have access to the people that do. And that's the key. Get in those neighborhoods, talk to people. Find out the daycares where they're dropping off their kids or the gym where they work out or the cafe where they buy their morning coffee or whatever it is. Most of those places have the little cork boards where you can put up your business card or something about your business. Start with that. And also start networking and talking to people. And if you can find a way to join their Facebook groups or find out what section of Craigslist that these people all tend to, to look at, We'll put some free ads up there. And when I talk about ads, you have one message, one message and one message only. You're going to say something to the effect of one free service call. This voucher good for one free service call. Call Hank at blah, blah, blah. Now you may be saying, hey, I don't hate money. How can I make money by giving away my services for free? Well, you have to remember, you're starting from scratch. You're like that immigrant that has nothing. You can't go out and charge for services because you don't have any customers. You may not even know how to do anything. We'll get to that in a minute. By offering a free service call, you'll get people to know you. You'll be able to get that business card and that little business magnet that people are going to put up on the side of the refrigerator. That's golden to you. That's what you want to do. You want to get people in the community talking about you and remembering that they either have your business card in a drawer somewhere or it's on a magnet on the side of the refrigerator. And the only way you're going to do that without spending a lot of money in advertising that you probably don't have, the way you're going to do it and the most effective way is by actively engaging with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If they call you up and they ask you if you can haul away and move some trash for them, you tell them absolutely, you'll be there in an hour, right? You don't have anything to do anyways. If they ask you if you can come over and move some furniture, not a problem. Remember, you don't have anything to do. You don't have any clients yet, no customers. Think of all the things people may be calling you to do. These are all things that you can probably easily do, even if you have a very low skill level. You're also going to get some calls that are going to ask you, hey, can you fix my air conditioner? Or my dishwasher's not working. Now, right now, you may not have the skill level to be able to fix that. Where you live, you may also require special licenses or belonging to a union or whatever. You have to deal with that on your own. But in terms of not having the skill level, that's okay. 
Remember, you don't have any clients, you don't have any customers, you don't have any jobs lined up. You're working just this few square miles in these neighborhoods, so it's not like you're driving hours away or way on the other side of town. You're just covering some very densely populated neighborhoods or subdivisions in a nice section of town that's you know probably just a, a few square miles in length. So it's easy for you to drive over to someone's house and assess the problem they're having. Now when they call you up and they say, hey, can you fix my air conditioning? If you can't do it, you should tell them that. But you may also say, depending upon the situation, well, I don't know if I can, but I'd be willing to come over and look at it for free. That's part of this free service call that you're offering. That gets you in the door. You may just tell them straight up, no, I have no idea how to fix that, but I'm still willing to come over for this free service call and change the filters on your air conditioning or clean out some of the duct work or look at it and make sure that it's not something simple so you don't have to pay some other guy a $100 service charge to come in and look at I'll be willing to come over and do that for free. Remember, you want to get in the door. You want to engage these customers. You want to make them happy and aware of who you are so that they call you back. And when you go over to the house, whether you're there to remove some trash or to try and fix their dishwasher or clean their windows or whatever they're bringing you over there for, look around. Use your situational awareness. Take notes. Ask them what problems they've had. Have they had to replace their hot water tank? When was the last time they had to have the roof reshingled? Do they need snow removal? I don't know what specific services the people in your area are going to need, but chances are, as you start talking to these people, you're going to find trends. As you start to investigate and talk to these people and find out what services they need, you're probably going to find out that they're very similar in nature, especially when these housing developments tend to all be built during a certain era or a certain year or a certain decade, you know, all the hot water tanks tend to go out at once or all the roofs need reshingled at the same time. And if that's not exactly the case, well, what you will often find out is that they all have very similar things on the inside. If they were built by the same builder or similar builders, the layouts and the components are very likely going to be similar. So maybe they all use the same kind of furnace or the same kind of air conditioner. And if that's the case, you'll find similar problems. If one component goes bad on one person's air conditioner, it's likely to be the same component that's going to fail on one of their neighbors. And so when you get called in on those service calls, take notes. Maintain a list of what type of equipment and appliances they have in their homes. And then in your free time, and remember, you're going to have a lot of free time because you don't have any customers yet, start researching. The internet and YouTube are your friend. Go out and Google the topics that you're encountering. How to replace a hot water tank. How to fix a dishwasher. How to repair a furnace. Chances are you can find a lot of that information for free online. And once you've solved that problem once, you're going to be able to add that skill to your toolbox. Your toolbox of credentials and abilities. Now, of course, you're going to be starting slow. You're going to have to build up. But that's the point of having the seed money and the living expenses to cover you for, say, the first six months or so. And I can almost guarantee you that if you're out every day talking to homeowners, getting inside of people's houses, and helping them with the day-to-day handyman-type problems that they have, that in six months, you will have learned more on that job than you would have ever had at a technical school or at a university or as an apprentice for someone else. If you put your mind to it, if you look for solutions to people's problems, in three to six months, 
you are going to have the knowledge and equivalent experience of a PhD handyman. People will remember that you came and you were clean and friendly and helpful and prompt and courteous and you solved their problem, that you told them the truth, and they're going to have your little magnet on the side of the refrigerator and when a problem occurs, they're going to call you or when they go on Facebook and their neighbor says, hey, do you know anybody that can do XYZ? They're going to say, yep, call Hank the Handyman. How about there's more? There's one other final thought that I want to finish up on. And this is what you have to apply, not only to that handyman business, but to whatever value you're trying to create in your small business or in the service that you're offering. This is really the key to success. It's about going the extra mile. Like I talk about in Wealth Building Principle number nine, you have to be a giver. You have to give in most cases before you're going to receive. If you want to become rich, you must first enrich others. Now as a handyman, the way you're going to enrich people's lives is by solving their problems they have around the house. And so how do you add that value? When it comes to identifying those needs and to going the extra mile and being a giver and providing the services head and shoulders above what the competition is providing, you do that by giving. When Hank goes into that house, whether he's on a paid call or whether he's coming in for his first free service call, before he leaves and before he gives him his little business card and his magnet to put on the side of the refrigerator, he says to them, hey, since I'm here, is there something else I can help you with? And the critical part of this is that this is what he's going to do once he's solved the problem or even if he can't solve it. He's going to say, is there something I can do for you? Or even better yet, he's going to say, hey, here's what I did do. Yeah, I, I fixed your furnace, but then I also went in and I cleaned the ductwork. No problem, no extra charge, just want to make you aware of that. Or if he's in the house and he has one of those big ladders I told you about, you know, either a step stool or even a big 20, 30 foot ladder that he has, and he's got to go up on the roof for some reason, or he's got to bring that ladder inside and for some reason go up on a, a large ceiling that they may have in their, in their family room. You know, while he's up on the roof or, or while he's working up on the ceiling, he just doesn't accomplish that one job that he was being paid for, that he's brought in for. He says, hey, you know what? I noticed there were some cobwebs over there in the corner or that light bulb was out. So I, I, I cleaned the cobwebs. I changed out the light bulb. Or while I was up there, I put a new 9-volt battery in that smoke detector because I don't know the last time you changed it, and I know whenever they go out, it's always like at 2 o'clock in the morning and they start beeping, and I'm pretty sure you probably don't have a 30-foot ladder in your house to get up there, so, hey, I just changed the battery for you. Or while he was up on the roof, he said, you know what, your, your gutters were clogged. I, just, I took 10 extra minutes, and I, I cleaned some leaves out of your gutter. He's going to do those kind of things for free. Simple things that he can do. Now, if he's putting in an LED light bulb and the light bulb is costing him six or seven bucks, well, yeah, he does want to recoup his cost for that. But you know, if he's buying nine volt batteries in bulk, he's going to get those pretty cheap. And if he just happens to be up there on a big ladder and there's a smoke detector nearby, why not change it for free? It's that essence of being a giver that separates the extraordinary businesses from the run-of-the-mill businesses. And most businesses, whether they're small or large corporations, they're mediocre. They're run by mediocre people. Mediocre employees, mediocre managers, mediocre owners. If you want to be a success, if you want to be in a more premium market than everybody else, you do that by being a giver and going that extra mile. Because people are going to remember you, they're going to call you back in, they're going to refer you to their neighbors, and when they do need that next job done, they're going to be willing to pay for it. 
that very simple task of changing those batteries can become a very profitable cash stream for you. When you're in a house doing something else and you see they have those big tall ceilings, you can ask them, when was the last time you changed your batteries in your smoke detector? And you can say, hey, I've got a ladder in their truck. While I'm here for $30, I'll replace all the batteries in your house. Or $50 or $75 or $10. I don't know how many smoke detectors they have in their house. I don't know how high up they are or how hard they are to get at. And I don't know what the competitive pricing mechanism is in your area. But when you're in those neighborhoods, when you're talking to people, you'll be figuring that out. If you charge too much at one house, lower your price at the next house. That van or that truck you have, in fact, a cargo van would be even better for this job, start stacking it up with the things that you know that people in your neighborhood are going to need. That way, when you go in there to do one simple job, you can kind of run down the checklist. Hey, while I'm here, can I change the filters on your air conditioner? Or can I change the batteries in your smoke detector? Or can I get up on my ladder and clean out that cobweb that's up in your corner that's up about 35 feet in the air? Or how about if I dust off those ceiling fans for you? Now you'll have to decide which of those jobs you give away as a loss leader or which of those jobs maybe you do completely for free or which of those jobs you charge extortionary rates for. It's your business. It's your neighborhood. You've done the market studies. You know what value is in that area.